Hey guys, and welcome back to the Logan City Lowdown. It's Holden and Crystal, and Angie and Emily are going to join us out in the field. I hope you guys enjoyed our shorter episode last week where we sat down with Maddie Tennant and we talked about the wastewater treatment plant. It's a pretty big project here in Cache Valley, but here at the environmental department, it's something that we've definitely been around a lot. It's our first week branching out of the environmental department, and we all have the pleasure of sitting down with the fire chief, Brad Hannig, and Craig Humphreys, the assistant fire chief and fire marshal, where they answered some of our most pressing questions. Just a quick disclaimer here, some of the clips may sound a bit muffled or distance, and that was because we were all wearing masks and maintaining some social distancing while conducting our interview. Also, a few questions in, Craig had to respond to a call, so we will mostly be hearing from the fire chief, Brad. The first thing we all discussed was the reason why all the engines respond to every call, and then we also went on to discuss the importance of moving to the side when you see an EMT or a fire truck. We respond our engine companies with the rescue. The way our staffing works is, you know, sometimes you see a big station and you think there's a lot of people there. There's really anywhere from four to five people here a day. And so we usually put um, two to three on the engine if there is five, two on the rescue. So we respond obviously to more than just fires. Mm -hmm. We respond to all EMS. We do all the transporting um, throughout, you know, the city of Logan, North Logan, Providence or River Heights, so that's our service area. So we respond in what we call a mobile fire station model, meaning the engine and the rescue respond together to have that four-man team, one for a fire and two because most EMS emergencies, especially if they're serious, require more than two people to manage. And so it gives us the flexibility that if we're responding to that EMS incident and we need the four people, we have them, if they need to break away to go on another EMS call or a fire, they can leave directly from the scene. So we call it a mobile fire station model because then we are a little bit more versatile because if we responded all in one unit, we couldn't break away, we, we wouldn't be versatile. Our next question is, why is it important to pull to the right and stop for emergency vehicles? Well, it's important for us, time is of the essence in responding to emergencies and so you know, the law, we get taught when we get a driver's license that we should pull to the right and stop as soon as possible, any time of year. And sometimes the noise of the vehicles, vehicles today are a little more soundproof. Um, so if you do have the radio on, sometimes you don't hear it. So, you know, we, you know, we are using our horns. We are using changing audibles on the, on the, um, the sirens to be able to alarm people. And so it really is important because we don't have any um, light help like Opticon systems that kind of change lights for us. We're really dependent upon people adhering and paying attention so that we can get to the emergency safely. And so anytime that you know you hear a siren and you can even if you don't see it, it start to slow down and pull to the right because you know we could be coming from behind, we could be coming from the intersection going the other the other way. Um, and we do our best not to force anybody into an intersection. And so if you're stopped at an intersection, you know, we're going to try to work our way around you. If there is no lane of passage, um, sometimes the rescue will go right up behind your vehicle. We just ask that you don't rush to the intersection, that you slowly try to get to the right so that we can, just enough room to get us, get us past you. Um, so, you know, these are always, we're, we're busy. Main Street is extremely busy, as you know. And so any help that we can get to be able to get to that emergency quicker um, and safer, um, you know, we, we encourage the public to, to help us. 
He mentioned that word busy, so we kind of went on then to discuss their busier times of the year and how many calls they tend to see on a day. They said they see about 16 to 17 calls a day, which equals to about 6,000 calls. But then he also said that um, they don't really have a busy season of the year, which I found interesting because I always thought it would have been around holidays. Yeah, I would have figured summer at least. You know, it's hot outside, the grass is dry. So for me, I would have thought maybe summer would have been more busy for them. Yeah, and he kind of did say that around those times they do see more calls, but I just thought it was really interesting that it's usually a pretty consistent schedule. It's such a consistent schedule that while we were talking, a call came through that Craig had to respond to. River Road by the golf course, 72, and then we have um, one up by the camp on the campus, and then we have one in North Logan. Okay. So that's the recent addition. If you didn't catch what he was saying, we were going over how many fire stations there are in Logan and where they're located, but we basically said that there are four. The short interruption then led us to discuss who they send out on a call to respond and how many people they send out. That is actually a possible structure fire. So, um, you know, obviously we have more units that respond on fire calls than right. EMS. I mean, EMS, you're going to see the engine and rescue go typically. Um, on a fire call, we send three engines, a truck, and a rescue, and a battalion chief. And then if it's a confirmed fire, we send one of our administrative staff as a second battalion chief to help um, run the command. Um, so it's really kind of about um, firefighter safety, accountability, knowing where people are, be able to manage a writ, which would be a, a, a rescue of a firefighter, down firefighter. We try to make sure we're prepared to do that um, immediately as soon as possible. We then discussed about being prepared for every situation possible and the amount of training and certifications each firefighter goes through. Yeah, when he was talking about all the certifications that they have to get in order to even become a firefighter, I was so impressed because it's hundreds and hundreds of hours. Okay, so to become a firefighter here, because we don't have the mechanism to, to go through a full 21-week academy, we, we have the expectation from them to be Fire 1 and Fire 2, um, which to go through the Fire 1, Fire 2, the Hazmat Ops and Awareness um, certification would probably take you close to a year. Um, I think if you really had, um, if you go to the RCA program originally, I think it's like six, six seven months. Um, and then the AMT course is another. So to do both of those is gonna take you well over a year. And then we have annual retraining. So your CME hours, it's 30 hours. I want to say it's 30 hours. And your firefighter is very similar. So, you know, we, we're constantly, if we're not out running calls, we're training. After that, Brad gave us the lowdown on some new community resources that the fire department is employing. So we have actually a really unique software program called First Do that is designed to give us as much information as we can possibly get prior to going to that incident. And so we have crews that go out and do pre-plans. Um, we can take pictures, we can attach pictures, we can put um, fire department connections, sprinkler systems. We are also getting ready to launch a community engagement survey with this um, program that will allow citizens to be able to input information. Um, and the reason why that's so important is that if they have pets, if they are wheelchair bound or aged and, and, and maybe have some potential issues that, that we know, that we know how many people are in the home, 
um, as much specifics as we can get to protect them, whether they have a basement, um, where they store ammunition, where they store, and that stuff is, is protected within the organization of fire, it's not shared with anyone else. But that kind of information can be super helpful so that we can protect you and we can, you know, know the dangers. Um, That's really interesting. Would that be available to, like, when someone gets a call for a certain house, they would immediately get that information on hand? Right. So when the guys respond, that populates on our phone immediately. It gives us a calculated route to go to the call. It gives the information and notes from the cab from dispatch. It also will populate kind of dashboard some of these critical things right off the bat. We can we can drill down and get a little bit more detail. Um, we, we extract information from the assessor's office, um, from the building department, and then what stuff we manually put in. So we can tag homes for whatever, um, whatever the danger or concern could be. And so if they have defensible space or they have, um, you know, um, so we know where the hydrants are. The hydrants are all located there. The pressures, anything that have that they have is un it's unusual. Um, we try to extract that through the assessor's office, but when it comes to residential homes, that's probably the one element that really doesn't have a lot of fire code. Mm -hmm. And so we're really reliant upon the homeowner because if you imagine, um, you're, you're you know you close your eyes, you can maybe navigate yourself through your own home, right? We've never been in your home, and we're coming in like our eyes are closed. Um, when it's smoke, it's not like the movies. You can't see fire. You know, you can see orange once in a while, but you don't get to see much. And so we're relying upon, you know, how we, you know, those kind of things are always helpful. The more information that we have coming into your residence, the better we can protect it and help you. So this community engagement app will offer you guys to know all this beforehand, right? Yeah, so what, what, what we're hoping to do and what some other communities have done is that like, as they go out on emergencies, they pass out flyers and encourage the next, um, time. You know, the next time to say, hey, this is some, you can get online, you enter your own information, and then when we pull up your residence, it will populate that information that you provided to us. Um, so it'll be super helpful, variable, valuable, and really about us being able to protect and help the community better. That's awesome. Clearly, our firefighters here in Logan wear many different hats, so you may be wondering how good they are, for lack of a better term. So Brad then gave us the lowdown on how fire stations are rated. In fact, and I'll just throw this out, is that fire departments are rated. Insurance service office rates, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard the term ISO rating. So that really kind of determines rates for it helps in mostly in commercial, but also in residential, it's starting to become a thing again. Because um, if you know the history of firefighting, it really was started by insurance companies. Insurance companies started the fire service. So Ben Frankel was one of the first firefighters. They were started by insurance companies to protect their investment. So insurance service office still provides a rating for fire departments. And you either have a one, which is the best, to a 10. Um, we are a class two, which for the size of our city is pretty good. Um, actually, it's really good. We're, one of, we're probably about 3%, top 3% in the state and top 3% in the country. So at this point, we've covered all things fire, but we had one more question that we just needed to know the answer to. Do you guys release 
slide down the pool and eat spaghetti all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, I was saying, I'm really confused about the spaghetti thing. <laughs> I don't know what, how many movies you watch and which ones. Um, I'm sure the guys eat spaghetti, and if you're really asking about spaghetti, it probably has some good carbohydrates that produce a lot of energy. So it's good energy food, right? Mm -hmm. So firefighters need good energy food because firefighter is very physically taxing. Um, in regards to in all seriousness, in regards to the poles, we do have fire poles in this station here um, on 200 North. Um, our other three stations do not um, because they're not two-story. They're not set up that way. It's kind of been a traditional thing. It's about speed. It's about being able to slide down the poles a lot faster than going downstairs. Um, it would be arguable if it's safer. It is if you know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> But it is, you know, it's traditional in the fire service. There's, you know, most of the older stations have them, but um, most of the modern stations are building one level so that they can eliminate that, um, the need for a fire pool. Absolutely. Well, thank you for meeting with yeah. us. Thank we really appreciate awesome. it. It was awesome. Thank you. Anytime. Wow, that was such a good time at the fire station. I thoroughly enjoyed getting to sit down with them and talk about something that I had always pretty been curious about is how a local fire station works. Yeah, I feel like I genuinely learned a lot and it's always good to know more about your local community and how it works and that's a good way to be more involved. Yeah, one thing that we, we talked a lot about a lot of different things with them obviously, but one thing we talked about towards the end of our time with them was how competitive the whole process is within the firefighting community and getting into that and um, kind of the different tests that you have to take to get in and I just it's not something that I would be able to handle but it was like a written test an oral test skills, a, a test. skills test and a physical test he was saying that for the physical test you basically go through like an obstacle course situation with most of the gear on and you have a limited amount of time to do it and not a lot of people can do it without much training yeah, and I think he also mentioned like the amount of applicants they get for the amount of positions that they have. So he says that it was like a couple years ago, but now it's, you know, getting to be more popular, which is a good thing, but it's also there's just not that many positions, I guess. Yeah. And it, it kind of just goes back to that idea of it's really impressive the amount of training that goes into being a firefighter. I've had family members that have gone into this and friends that have gone into this, but I guess I had never really thought about it until after speaking with them there about yeah, there's a lot of training going into it, but then while you're in the profession, it's just a constant retraining program. Yeah, earlier when we were talking about how many different fire stations there are in Logan City, the main station is used for the fire trucks, but the one over by the golf course is for the hazmat stuff, where they have to constantly train together over hazmat situations. And then the one up by the university, that's more of a tech rescue with, that he was saying of ropes, swift water rescue, ice rescue, and high angle. So really all the firemen have to be trained and certified in all these different types of certifications. Well, I think it, that just goes to show how diverse Cache Valley is, and I guess Utah is as a whole, where maybe in different parts of the country, they, there isn't much of a need to be trained on how to deal with an airport situation or a river rescue thing or an ice thing. And I just, another thing that I just found very impressive that these, these firefighters and EMT and AMT people, they have to be prepared for any situation. Yeah, I mean, like not everywhere 
has an airport. Not everywhere has a canyon. Not everywhere has these rivers going all throughout in and desert too. Just yeah, they do have to be trained in all these different ones and continuously be every year. Yeah, and then I guess part of that goes with again the resources that we mentioned earlier. They're starting to use this new software system um, called First Do, which allows them to have better access to like records of like homes or places where they're going to be better prepared for when they're fighting a fire or rescuing someone. So if they're on route to a situation, they can pull up this software and see, all right, this house should have three animals and four people living here and the basement looks like this. And that's kind of a a big thing that we talked about with them is this will soon be something available to the public. So you can update your first due Profile, profile basically, I guess. for your house. Yeah, like so the something... community engagement survey is that he what he was saying, and that's where people can go and fill in what they want the fire department to know. And I mean, he said they already have information from like the local like land trust office, and obviously public works with fire hydrants and where the fire hydrants are placed on the properties, things like that. But he was really stressing that he wants people to be able to take this community engagement survey in order to help them help us, basically, the community. Absolutely. Well, I thought this was a very successful episode. I had so much fun meeting with them. Yeah, it was like, this is by far so much fun. I'm <laughs> glad that we got to do that, and I'm excited to move on to a new department next week. We'll see what we can cook up.